Okay. okay. But it's an on. <laughs> <laughs> Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Laura Baltus, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. I'm Amy McIntosh, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products. And I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. So Bob and Amy just got back from a couple of trips. Do you guys want to, you know, recap those a little bit? Sure. Um, Well, I just got back from the Texas Water Quality Association convention, Um, and it's definitely a unique conference because um, it's quite large for a regional show, I believe, but it's still pretty small and intimate in a way. Everybody is very, um, everybody's friends, like it's a very, it's a very family-oriented atmosphere, so it was really cool to see everybody interacting with each other and um, they're all very supportive of each other. One major issue that came out of this conference that I noticed is kind of a big deal uh, right now are the tariffs in China um, or the tariffs on imported goods from China. Um, A lot of these tariffs are going to impact the water quality industry. Um, the manufacturers definitely because you know it's the products or the parts in their products but also you know those costs are going to trickle down to the dealers so I was able to speak with um, David Loveday who from the Water Quality Association who also gave a little uh, presentation about it at the opening um, reception at the conference and he and Kathleen Foltz also from the Water Quality Association are planning to put together a little something for the magazine um, for the September issue, I believe, um, and Kathleen also has been updating the WQA website with information about these tariffs, so um, we posted the link on our website. You should check that out if you have any questions. But it's an ongoing issue, and there are a lot of um, deadlines and whatnot coming up. Um, all that information is on WQA's website, and it will probably also be in the article or the little update that they're planning to write for the September issue. So that was my trip to Texas. Yeah, and just just to piggyback on that a little bit for um, for the digest side, it, when I was at the WEMA annual um, meeting earlier this year in Washington D.C., we did I did get to talk to a couple um, couple manufacturers about the tariffs and how it's impacting them, and a lot of them were saying that it it was actually having a pretty big impact, especially considering how much metal is used in a lot of these. Um, a lot of these devices and these pieces of equipment, it was definitely having an impact. And one of them even was like, I bought Canadian steel for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really interesting how it's going to play out. And it, it's having unforeseen consequences that I think weren't, weren't really fully thought through. Yeah, and a lot of people were saying, you know, can we make some of this stuff in the US or whatever? But um, there's a, there are three different lists of um, products and materials that are gonna have different tariffs placed on them. And list number two specifically um, includes ion exchangers and resins, which is a huge part of the water quality uh, arena. And Kathleen was saying, you know, there's no way you can make that in the US. It's a Chinese mm-hmm. thing. So 
We'll see. Stay tuned yeah. for updates because it's definitely something that's going to impact the industry. Yeah. Well, even so, if the prices rise elsewhere, what's to say an American manufacturer won't also rise raise their prices because they can make because a better profit? Can. Yeah. So, anyway, um, to get back to my travel, I was at the One Water Summit in Minneapolis. Um, at that summit, they they actually um, gave a, gave out the um, the oh, gosh the water prizes. <laughs> um, so at, at the Minneapolis Water Summit, uh, One Water Summit. They gave away the water prizes to um, several people. They had one for public, uh, public official. They had another one for um, kind of like charity organizations, nonprofits. Um, they had one for a private entity as well, which ended up being Intel. Um, there were a lot of. It, it was really interesting. We have a, a post on our sites about who won what. Um, you can also check our face, the WWD Facebook. I posted a bunch of pictures of the winners um, at the podiums and everything. Um, and I also got a picture of one of the awards, so you can see what one of the awards looks like. But the other side of the the, the conference beyond that was everything was all one water related. Uh, the first thing I went to was a water equity panel, which is really interesting. And I've already talked to both Amy and Lauren about doing an entire episode of this podcast on water equity because I do think it's a really important and um, and a really important part of one water. Um, a lot of I mean that that session hammered it home. There there is no one water without water equity, so it's something that we we will be discussing in the future. And I have an interview already for that uh, episode, so you can look forward to that. It's from one of the water prize winners. But uh, it was a very diverse conference. It was a different set of people that I normally get to see, and it gave me a lot of ideas for stories going into the future. Um, lots of nonprofits, lots of charities. Um, there were several main uh, municipal people who were on panels who had some good stories to tell as well. So I'm hoping to turn those into future articles too. I guess we'll do a little bit of a news recap. Mm -hmm. um, some things that have been happening in the One Water world. Um, last episode, we discussed um, plastic and waterways. And so there's been a lot of movement on that in um, the media lately. Um, <clears throat> notably, major um, companies have been um, banning straws. Um, for example, Starbucks and um, this uh, <clears throat> article from Nat Geo lists Starbucks, Bacardi Rum, Bon Appetit um, Management Company, Marriott Hotels, Alaska Airlines, and American Airlines have all publicly announced that they will um, phase out plastic straws. So this is becoming a, almost trendy, it seems like, mm -hmm. um, but it's a little bit controversial um, for a few reasons. Um, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I my take is that it, a complete ban of straws isn't totally necessary because there are reasons Mm -hmm. um, which I think we've all read about. For example, people with disabilities sometimes need straws. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I agree with that. I, a, a full-on ban isn't necessarily needed, and the, the problem extends so far beyond just straws. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so completely banning straws, while that would solve part of the problem, it's not going to solve the whole problem. I think right. the, the, the part of the ban is it's getting people to, do, to discuss this matter and discuss right. the problem of plastics and water right. and it's elevating that conversation so mm -hmm. I think that like a full ban isn't necessary especially when you're talking about people who, who with disabilities who 
literally need a straw to actually like drink something. I think that's really really important and and metal straws aren't necessarily the best option because they heat up and cool down depending on the temperature of the mm. liquid that they're in, so it could result in burns or freezer burn or something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think a full ban isn't necessary. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to people with disabilities, too, you know, a lot of the articles I've read, and this has actually been very eye-opening because it's not something you immediately or I immediately mm-hmm. thought about. Same. But, um, you know, plastic straws specifically because people say, oh, use glass, use metal, whatever. Like you said, there's a temperature concern. Mm-hmm. There's like a you know, they're sharper, they're sharp objects, the glass can break, what have you. Um, So, you know, plastic is, for a lot of people, the only option, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, and I think we mentioned this last time too, it comes down to kind of an individual awareness. Don't take a straw if you don't need a straw. You know, I know Starbucks is going to have those new lids. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually saw some of them... uh, Yesterday or? Oh yeah, because they're already using them for like one of their new the drinks. Nitro, the nitro, yeah. yeah I yeah. saw some of our uh, some of our coworkers getting uh, Starbucks yesterday who got like iced coffees and it had that new lid. It yeah. was really interesting. I was like, oh wow, that's the new lid. Yeah. Well, and they say that those are recyclable, which straws right. are not, and which is fine. Like if you don't need a straw, don't take a straw. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the overall message, I think. But right. if you need a straw, they should be available. Right. So, yeah. And. Those new lids at Starbucks specifically um, supposedly do use more plastic mm-hmm. than the straw and the old lid combined. But like Amy just said, they're recyclable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's two sides to it. But I agree I agree with you, Bob, that at least this is a conversation that's happening now. Mm-hmm. We are faced with pollution in our waterways every day because it's our job and we talk about it all the time but the the general public it's not something that they might be thinking about every day Mm -hmm. um and so at least this is a conversation that's happening Mm -hmm. a little bit on a larger scale now and i mean to be fair this conversation there's always been talk about this it just hasn't been elevated to this level and it's a shame that it required a video of a turtle with a straw in its nose to start a conversation Mm -hmm. because it's it's been an issue for decades. Yeah. This isn't just something that came out of nowhere. This is years and years and years of negligence and people right. not paying attention to it. And that, that it required this one viral video of like, oh my God, the turtles hurt. It To change people's minds is like yeah. a sad thing, I think. Right, I read something the other day too, and I'm not gonna even guess what the number was because I don't remember, but it was basically saying how much of the ocean pollution actually is made up of straws and it's like not mm-hmm. that right. much right. the main source of ocean pollution and i think we learned this too at that R- chicago right. river event we went to is right. fishing nets oh, yeah. oh and that's yeah. where all the you know wildlife gets stuck and that's mm-hmm. also what kind of like wraps up all of the other garbage mm-hmm. in the in the ocean so um oh yeah i don't know if it's irony or what that you know industry is what's ultimately mm-hmm. kind of polluting the mm-hmm. the oceans in an indirect way but um straws and even plastic bags i think are kind of a minuscule yeah amount of the total pollution so mm-hmm. i mean i personally am not going to solve the fishing net problem in the ocean <laughs> but i can not take a straw at starbucks right right mm-hmm. you can think about it makes you think about these small mm-hmm. little changes you can make in your day to day that you can use less plastic mm-hmm. yeah 
And on that note, <laughs> let us know what small things you're doing. Yeah. You know, to please contact us. Um, you can email us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can uh, comment on our website. Um, please reach out to us. Let us know the small things that you're doing to try and contribute less plastic yeah. to waterways. What do you think about the plastic straw ban? Is it useful? We're curious. On that note, <laughs> on that very positive note, um, we recently had a conversation um, with a uh, one water expert. Yeah, so uh, I had received a press release from Brown and Caldwell about some um, some hiring they had been doing specifically on the one water front and reached out to them for an interview about one water and learning a little bit more about it from their perspective and trying to shape a little bit more of what we would view One Water as as well. And we got to talk to Melanie Homer. She is the National Water Reuse Leader for Brown and Caldwell. Um, She talked about all different facets of this from the municipal side to the water reuse side to the stormwater side. She even mentions things that water treatment dealers could do to try and encourage their um, residences to accept a one accept and start working toward a one water approach so one here's some of that interview now all right so on the line we have melanie homer she's brown and caldwell's national water reuse leader uh, she has 20 years of experience in planning design and construction of water supply and treatment facilities and her ex- as- expertise covers all aspects of drinking water wastewater stormwater and reuse um, so we brought her on the call because we are a one water podcast and we wanted to talk to her a little bit about what we'll be um, discussing there so I guess the first thing that we wanted to ask was, how would you define one water? What do you, what, what would you consider to be, well, to be one water? Well, one water can definitely mean different things to different communities or locations, depending on their site-specific water challenges. But generally speaking, one water is an integrated planning and implementation approach to managing what are really finite water resources in a way that improves water supply reliability and resiliency. It's a holistic, comprehensive approach that considers the entire interconnected urban water cycle. And when you remove those traditional barriers between drinking water and wastewater and stormwater, it can lead to some really innovative solutions. It, al- it also often involves regional or interdepartmental or interagency collaboration to help identify some potential solutions to common goals. Yeah, okay. Cool. So when we're talking about One Water, are there certain projects that you think um, are going on right now that are really important to note or, uh, or think about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brown and Caldwell actually worked with many early adopters of the One Water approach to develop the Water Research Foundation's project the blueprint for one water, um, and that blueprint in- document includes case studies of a lot of these agencies and their one water accomplishments. The so one example is sustaining Scioto, central Ohio. It's a region where they've experienced not only extreme heat and prolonged drought, but toxic algal blooms, as well as unprecedented flooding. Um, the project partners uh, came together and investigated climate change impacts to water 
water supply, water quality, and wastewater services, and they work together to develop both near-term and long-term adaptive management strategies to help prepare for these types of changes. Um, another example, I, I'm here in California, and, and the Bay Area Regional Reliability Project is another great example of regional um, collaboration. It's uh, eight municipal water agencies in the San Francisco Bay Area that came together to develop a drought contingency plan and um, trying to improve water resiliency and reliability amongst all the agencies. And some of those strategies included, um, included potential water transfers, increased storage, um, increased water reuse and purified water, and, uh, and interties between agencies. So those are those are just a couple uh, in, in the country. There there are a few there are uh, uh, quite a few others actually as well. <laughs> well, I was just at the One Water Summit in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago, um, and water equity was actually one of the big topics there, and how um, that seems to be a driving topic. Um, how important is water equity when it comes to One Water? Well, that's a great question. Equity has definitely been a driving force towards uh, a one-water approach. There are many parts of the country that don't have access to clean, safe drinking water, and these are often rural or disadvantaged communities. It's not a simple problem, and there are many causes behind that lack of access to clean, safe drinking water, and there are just as many and numerous possible solutions. That complexity really lends toward a one-water approach. Uh, the California Urban Water Agencies, CUA, is, is a nonprofit corporation of 11 major urban water agencies in California that collectively serves about two-thirds of California's population. And their mission is to, is to advance reliable, high-quality water supplies for the state's current and future urban water needs. Um, and the reason I mention them is that they, they are a leading voice in one water approaches. And although that they ha although they have an urban focus, they're, they're really committed to um, working with stakeholders to help identify strategies that can help communities have access to clean, safe drinking water regardless of level of income. Um, I actually serve as CUA's Deputy Executive Director, and they've recognized a, a while ago that uh, wa water is, equity is important to all Californians, not just to the urban areas. And so um, they've, you know, again, really reached out to stakeholders um, both NGOs and those in the state, um, and a lot of the potential strategies involve multiple agencies and stakeholders working together to identify and try to help fix the issues. Um, so definitely a big topic in, in One Water and, and one that can really be supported with a One Water approach. Yeah. Well, and it sounds to me that a big part of that is developing good community relationships and community partnerships um, that was discussed pretty at length also at the One Water Summit on how to get other people to um, take ownership of these projects as well. Maybe they're helping with green infrastructure um, or something of that nature. Right, yeah. I mean, it's definitely important to get, to get the community involved um, early on in the process. Um, and, and again, yeah, the solutions can be can range from green infrastructure to water reuse, um, alternative water supplies. It's, it, there's there's definitely a lot a lot of opportunities there. Uh, the the blueprint for one water 
describes the importance of engaging stakeholders right from the beginning and and all along the process, actually, a, a really great example of that is the Water Reliability Coalition in San Diego. <clears throat> His members support advancing water reuse as a way to help diversify the region's water portfolio. Uh, down in San Diego, the, they have, you know, 85, over 80 percent of their water supplies are imported. And so um, this Water Reliability Coalition, uh, which which consists of a really broad-based um, community of environmental groups and business groups, labor and technical organizations. They've come together to, to help support water reuse um, and, and help secure safe, reliable, sustainable, and cost-effective local water supply, um, really in support of the Pure Water San Diego project, which is a uh, purified water project to send water to a reservoir. So, um, and, you know, the community partnerships, engaging stakeholders from the beginning, really important in advancing a lot of these solutions. So that sounded like a pretty positive um, example of a community using one water. How do you see other communities and municipalities receiving the trend? Are they interested in it, or is it too new? Um, definitely. Uh, uh, you know, Bob mentioned the One Water Summit. At, at a lot of um, industry events, there's, there are whole tracks based on One Water. A lot of communities are taking this, um, are taking this approach and really, uh, really running with it um, throughout the country. And um, again, if you, uh, the, there, there are these, you know, certain steps for establishing that framework. One is setting the foundation, and that's identifying who potential partners may be and what your common goals might be and who are the stakeholders that need to be um, engaged from the beginning because those in the community, environmental groups or other community organizations can really become champions of one water efforts if they are you know, brought in at the beginning and, and if they have common goals too, whether that be for water supply or you know, water quality in, uh, recreational water quality or, or anything else, as long as, um, the, as long as that continuous kind of communication and engagement occurs, I, it really uh, can have lasting benefits. So um, what are the other trends are you seeing in the realm of water reuse? Uh, you've mentioned this a lot as being a, one of the big things. Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing? Are certain facilities more prone to explore water reuse options like commercial facilities like restaurants and stuff like that versus industrial, like a mining operation or a food and beverage manufacturer or something like that? Well, I, so I'm the water reuse leader for Brown and Caldwell, and I love water reuse. And the great, the great thing about it is that there's so much possibility in it as part of as a really key component of a one water solution, um, you know, making the most of an important resource while you have it. Um, on the non-potable side, irrigation for landscaping is pretty established, and but there's there's momentum for increased water reuse for agricultural irrigation as a way to help mitigate vari variability in say water supply allocations to farmer or just year-to-year -year variability in in rainfall. Um, industry is also looking increasingly at water reuse as a reliable water supply um, in many parts of the country and looking to partner with the utilities so that they can kind of have this, uh, you know, sort of drought-resistant uh, water supply. On the potable reuse side, um, augmenting aquifers via groundwater recharge 
with um, with water, you know, with water reach has been done for decades. Uh, thanks to that that Pure Water San Diego program I mentioned earlier. That in this past year, we have new surface water augmentation regulations in California um, to send purified water to a reservoir, um, planned planned potable reuse, and. Um, as treatment technologies and regulations advance, direct potable reuse will certainly become another option for many water supplies trapped communities. Great. Okay. Um, so our um, publications kind of cover a range of, of water providers, I guess, from the municipal level all the way down to um, individual residential water treatment dealers. So when you get down to that more individual level, um, what are some ways that providers of residential water treatment um, solutions can encourage this one water approach to their customers? Um, certainly the first step for, uh, for any, anyone in a one water approach is to, um, is to raise awareness of water through education and communication um, and in, in doing so kind of building trust with the community. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people in the community don't understand the value of water. They don't know where it comes from or where it goes once they've used it. They just turn the, turn the faucet and clean, safe drinking water comes out. Um, it's interesting. I've been in this industry for 20 years, and I've had friends from elementary school through high school that have known this whole time that I've been a wa in water and an engineer, but have never asked me about it until that epic drought in 2015 here in California. And they started asking questions about you know, should our community be doing desal? Should we be increasing water use? How, how can we conserve more? And it was so fantastic to have those conversations um, because when, when just, you know, regular folks in the community are talking about water, that, that only helps in, in efforts to help secure water, you know, reliable water supply. And um, so with that, you know, opening up a, a conversation and, and having raising awareness and uh, increased education, targeted education about water, uh, helps build trust with the community. And when you do, when when that happens, when there's trust with the, the community, um, the public will will respond. Uh, opportunities open up, and, and when times get tough, they'll respond when they're asked to act, to either conserve or to take part in the solution in some way, to be participants, uh, to consider alternative water supplies, whether that's water reuse or stormwater capture or desal. So um, definitely that, that raising awareness and education is, is probably the, uh, the, the really the, the initial starting point. Um, so you mentioned how we deal with droughts a little bit in that respect, and would you say the same for floods and other natural disasters? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, uh, some of these things are different when you look at the different geographic locations, right, depending on what those um, natural disasters are. But um, taking a holistic approach really allows for some innovative solutions. So one great example of that is the New York City Department of Environmental Protection, they have challenges managing combined sewer overflows and stormwater during cloudbursts. Uh, when they took into the account the whole system, they realized if they could reduce the potential to overflow during a, during a cloudburst, it would be a pretty big win. So they, they piloted a program, and they now have this voluntary program called WAIT. And it notifies users via text messages via text message to reduce water during heavy rainstorms. 
um, by waiting to do laundry or taking shorter showers or by waiting to flush toilets. So if it's yellow, let it mellow. They they, they thought that they could they could reduce <laughs> they could reduce um, some of that flow into their sewers during these rainstorm events, and, and definitely um, has had a positive impact. So um, by viewing this through a you know a wider from a wider perspective, they recognize that if they could take this one change here and get the community involved, um, they could have a positive impact um, elsewhere in their system. You know, really uh, innovative solution that they were able to um, to apply. Um, another, you know, and, and, and as you mentioned, drought here is is, is also really quite often um, a, a driver towards one water and water reuse efforts. And so certainly it just kind of depends on where you're located and what those challenges are. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to discuss that maybe we didn't uh, touch on? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to, I, you know, I mentioned the Blueprint for One Water, which is a really helpful document in identifying what you might want, what steps you might want to take um, to uh, to implement a one water uh, program or approach. Um, starts again by sort of setting the foundation and talking to stakeholders, and then it and gets you all the way really through uh, planning and implementation. And so I think you can just probably Google that blueprint for one water um, for, for more information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. We really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. So, yeah, that, there, that was Melanie Homer, and a lot of the takes that she has um, it was really fascinating. What, what did you guys take away from that interview this morning? Um, well, I, you know, we were actually just talking about this in our discussion here, but, you know, education um, is really important, you know, people who on an individual level at least you know people don't they're not aware of this water thing like she said that um people she works in water and people weren't asking her about it until there was a drought that directly impacted their own personal lives mm -hmm. so it's education is important for because it, it really does come down to an individual level um the amount of water you're using in relation to how much water is available mm -hmm. um it's it's interesting to to see people's awareness on this topic. Yeah. I also liked her description of one water as a holistic and kind of comprehensive um, way to approach um, water quality and um, and I just thought that was a great description of it because mm -hmm. um, I think that in all our conversations about one water we're we are kind of describing it in that way, but not using those words. And so I think holistic and comprehensive are two just like key, key words about mm -hmm. one water. Yeah, and it, it was really cool to hear about the intersections and how things all yeah. interplay as well. Mm -hmm. This is something that I took away from the One Water Summit as well, just how, how this extends so far beyond just the water elements to it. Like this is, this could be the lifeblood of a community. Like if you, Say you have an urban flooding situation, you put down some green infrastructure, and then you have the community that you could actually have members of the community, community champions, install the green infrastructure and maintain it. And it becomes their park and it becomes part of their community. And it, yeah. 
there's really cool things. This gets back again to this whole water equity thing that I think is really, really cool because it helps build communities, it helps build jobs, and it helps create ownership in areas that really, really need it. Right. Well, um, before we close out, I guess we'll give you a little taste of what our our next, our uh, August issues, Mm -hmm. wow, oh my God, already, (laughs) what our August (laughs) issues will feature. Um, Amy, you want to start? Sure, because mine's probably the least interesting for most people. Um, August is our buyer's guide and water quality products. So if you're looking for a specific product or service or company, check out the buyer's guide. There's uh, listings of every company that we have in our online database, as well as the products and services they offer. So it's a good resource to keep around all year. We have it at every trade show as well. So... And it's online. The online version is updated in real time. So if any company goes in and changes their phone number or whatever, you can, uh, it'll be updated immediately. So, and there's also some product information in there, product portfolios, extra uh, info on those. So check that out. Short and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for Digest, um, since this was the August issue, I did a follow-up on Hurricane Harvey. Um, I specifically got to talk to Sydney Bomer from the 69th Street Wastewater Treatment Plant in Houston. That is one of the facilities that we visited last fall after the storm um, and where we did a lot of coverage in terms of video. Uh, so I got to talk to him, follow up, see how things are going this time, and talk to him about how things have changed a year later, how, how they're working toward that. He talked a lot about how they're consolidating, how they're moving things to higher ground, um, and how they're reformulating their plans to make sure that things are more accessible in the event of really high water. Um, And also we had a a really awesome plant profile from our associate editor, Mike Meyer, this month. Um, It turned out really nicely. And then uh, we have a great Singer Valve how-to about valves, as well as an article on this ultrasonic buoy from LG Sonic that actually will, I guess, it mitigates algal growth in drinking water reservoirs. So it understand, it it uses ultrasound to understand where they are in like the reservoir. And then it also sends out specific pulses of sound Mm -hmm. that disrupt algal growth Mm -hmm. and stops it from growing. It's fascinating article, it's a really cool piece of technology they were just talking about algal blooms on science friday on npr last week yeah and i was like ding 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 (laughs) you also got to see him at ace yeah and he's our friend not really (laughs) (laughs) did not speak to him (laughs) but yeah that's some those are some of the things you can look forward to in the in the next um issue of water waste digest um in stormwater solutions um in the august issue there's a few things i'm pretty excited about um this issue we're starting a new editor's focus topic um, called Women in Engineering, where I'll highlight a woman engineer in the industry um, and kind of talk about her career path and um, her goals and what she's done. Um, it's it's um, and this this month I interviewed Carrie Bristol Grohl, um, and we had an awesome conversation. And she's a pretty cool engineer, so you definitely want to check that out. Um, we also have a guest column on using drones um, for disaster relief after, for example, this one is specifically on after flooding after Hurricane Hardy, Harvey. So um, that is pretty interesting. Um, <clears throat> uh, column I checked that out and 
This month, we're starting our construction site runoff series, which will run for the next three issues. So um, if that's something you're interested in, don't miss that. Um, and uh, we, it's a pretty jam-packed issue with some cool topics. So you just talking about out. your column got me thinking about yeah. our column is all about <laughs> how wastewater treatment plants can treat for pharmaceuticals and wastewater mm. from just from human population. Also very cool yeah. angle, um, an interesting topic to think about if you're a, an operator at a wastewater treatment plant. Yeah. Um, oh, and before we, we, we finish, we want to plug for Top Projects Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, Stormwater Solutions and Water and Waste Digest are accepting nominations for Top Projects for their respective magazines until August 1st. August 1st. For both Next of them. Next Wednesday. So by the time this drops, you'll only have a few days left, but please get your um, nominations in. You can do it through the Water and Waste Digest website or the Stormwater Solutions website, depending on which magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we want to hear about your projects, so please submit those. Yeah, so to reach those nomination forms, go to www.dmag.com or estormwater.com. On the top bar, there's a link that says Top Projects. If you click that, over on the right-hand side, you'll find links to the nomination forms. But again, again what like we had said earlier, what are you doing in terms of trying to use less plastic? Are, are there... Sp- certain things that you are working toward in that regard are, are there are you saying no to straws are you um i guess not using plastic fishing nets uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what are you doing to try and contribute less to the growing problem of plastics in waterways yeah. also how would you define one water do you agree with <laughs> melanie's definition of one water let us know let us know yeah okay. talking underwater at sgcmail.com Thanks a bunch. Bye. Bye.